church today is sponsored by Marvel. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I showed you that because if you're a Marvel fan like I am, then it's enormously satisfying when you get to the end of uh, the second Avengers movie, Endgame, right? Because if you know the history, it, um, it's 11 years in the making. 11 years. 23 movies. Three phases, if you know what that means. But one story arc. Yeah, that, that if you look back at the earliest movies, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, they're little seeds planted all throughout those movies, and then slowly they come together over those 11 years, 23 movies, until it finally all makes sense as one continuous story at the end. That's pretty satisfying, isn't it? Well, Joshua 24, the last chapter of Joshua, is like that. You actually get all the threads coming together, but not just from Joshua chapter 1. It actually goes back 400 years earlier to Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, when God spoke these promises to Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, all of those things coming together. In fact, even the location of where Joshua 24 takes place, Shechem, that's significant. Shechem is the place where God said to Abraham, I will give you this land, and Abraham goes and builds an altar. Shechem is also the place where Abraham's grandson, whose name is Jacob, but actually his name gets changed to Israel, Jacob decides that he will follow the Lord at Shechem, and significantly, he puts away all of his household idols, which we'll come and see later on in Joshua 24 is what happens. So as Israel have now, at the end of Joshua, conquered the land, settled in the land, the promised land, that first major story arc of the Bible comes to a close. That's why I made that comparison with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. But like the MCU, this is not the end, is it? Our Bibles don't finish at Joshua 24. It's actually only the beginning to new phases, if you like. Because now the question is, what's the future going to look like? What's it going to look like for Israel in their land? Would being God's people in God's place under God's rule now restore God's original blueprint for creation all the way back in Eden? Well, it all would depend on the kind of choice they would make right now. See, this chapter, as we read earlier, is Joshua, his final farewell, calling the people to make a choice. A choice between blessing and curse, a choice between life and death, a choice between land or exile. And the choice wasn't just for them, it was for them and the generations after them, wasn't it? Well, you know what? God is calling each person here to make that same kind of choice, believe it or not. Right? Make a choice now, or maybe it's a choice that you've made sometime in the past if you've been a follower of Jesus. And if it's a choice you made in the past, then you've got to keep asking yourself, right? Is it a choice that I'm going to now stick by? Because every single day of our lives, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, we've got to keep that commitment up. And sometimes it's really hard. And the choice is also between blessing and curse, also between life and death, also between heaven or hell, not just for us, but also for the generations that come after us. So this is a pretty big deal chapter, isn't it? Let's pray and let's get into it. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you that we were able to joyfully, reflectively sing this morning in person for those of us who are here. We thank you that you bless us with your presence. So now be with us, we pray, as you've promised that your word would go out 
and it will not come back empty. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, make a choice. Um, this final speech, chapter 24, follows from last week, and you guys were here. Um, you heard last week, chapter 23, the chapter before was, 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 was Joshua giving warnings, encouragements for Israel to stick to the Lord. Well, now, ch- chapter 24, it's a continuation. Now it's time for them to formalize that choice, right? That line in the sand needs to be drawn. Commitments need to be down and noted and witnessed. So if you have a look again at verse 1, Uh, Actually, we didn't read this, so let me read verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. All right, so that sets the scene for chapter 24. Now, we didn't read verses 2 to 13, but it was great that the kids' talk really ran over those uh, verses. But there, Joshua recalls the story arc. As I said, the story arc that began all the way back with Genesis chapter 12 and Abraham. Now, we're not going to read those verses. I just want to quickly summarize here. It's worth reading on your own. Uh, But there, Joshua doesn't say everything, right? He doesn't recount every part of the storyline between Genesis and Joshua. What he does is he emphasizes, he highlights a few things. And this is the kind of stuff he highlights. The first thing he highlights is that God is the one who takes the initiative. You got that? God is the one who takes the initiative. He acts on behalf of his people. He intervenes. In the verses that Joshua recounts the uh, history, 20 times we read God saying, I did this, right? And it's always in the first person, I did this, 20 times. So I took, I gave, I assigned, I sent, I afflicted, I brought you out, I did, I destroyed, I delivered, and so on. You get the picture, don't you? Right? God is the one who initiates, God is the one who acts, and he does all of it because God loves them. He loves His people, and He's faithful to His promises. Just a little bit of preview to the end of the chapter. Again, a few verses we skipped right at the end. Um, We read that the bones of Joseph are finally buried in the land. Now, that's a tiny minor detail. Can't have time to go into it all, but it's such a minor detail. But that one detail is a reminder that every single little bit of what God promised has come true. Every single bit. We actually read uh, last week, if you were here, Joshua 23, remember? God says, that, uh, Joshua says, not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. And that's really the big idea at the end of Joshua. Every single promise, right down to the details of where Joseph would be buried, all of that has come true. Or literally, not one word the Lord has spoken has fallen. And then Joshua here in 24 is saying, this is the reason why, Israel, this is the reason why You need to choose to stick with God. Stick with the Lord, because look what He's done for you. Look at the way He's acted for you. Now, when it comes to us, as I said, God calls us to choose too. When He calls us to choose, guess what? The logic is exactly the same. See, it's not choose me and follow me, then I will do all this for you. That's not the logic, is it? It's not trust me and then I'll save you. It's, of course, if you know, it's, it's the good news of Jesus, the other way around, isn't it? It's, let me save you, so trust in me. And when it comes to God saving us, it's, just, it's like saving Israel back in Joshua. It's all Him, all right? He is the one who does everything. Some people like to imagine that um, God saving us is a little bit like 
drowning, like you're drowning in the water and you're gasping for air and you're sinking fast. And then you, you see a hand reach down and, and in your last breath, as the hand reaches down to rescue you, you reach your hand up and grab it and, and, and God pulls you out to safety and saves you. Is that how you imagine salvation? Well, that's not the Bible's picture of salvation. In Ephesians, it says that we were dead in our transgressions. It's not as if God reached down and we reached up and then we made an effort to grab Him. No, the Bible says you were dead. We were dead, unresponsive, dead body at the bottom of the water. God reaches in, grabs us, and He resuscitates us. He resurrects us. That's the picture of salvation. God does it all. And of course, He does it all through Jesus dying and rising again. You know, if we could contribute anything to our salvation, Jesus would not have died. I mean, you think about it. Why would God send His only Son to die a cruel death on the cross in our place if we could contribute anything? No, we can't. He does it all. And that's the logic of salvation. And that's the logic that, the, that that's the reason why we're to choose Him. He does it all. The other thing to notice in Joshua 24 is, of course, as I said before, 20 times God speaks in the first person, right? Joshua's not saying, God did this for you, God did this for you, God did... No, 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 it's 20 times God says, I did this, I did this. And because I did this for you, Israel, it's very personal, I, you, you now have so much reason to choose me. And I just want to mention that when it comes to our salvation, God wants us to experience that in the first person as well. Like, I wonder if this is true for you, because you could have been coming to church for a long time. You could be very religious, but all you understand is God in the third person, right? God has done this for people. No, no, no. God wants you to understand He's not just, He doesn't just, it's not just God loves people, and it's not even just God loves us, and it's not even just God loves me. To really experience salvation, he wants you to understand it's God saying, I love you. Like, is that something that echoes in your heart? You've heard God say to you, you've experienced him saying the first person, I love you. Did you know that if you were the only person in the universe needing to be saved, God still would have done it? You don't believe me? Remember Jesus said he would leave the 99 to go after the one sheep. If you were the only person in the world needing to be saved, God still would have done it. Isn't that an amazing thought? That's what it feels like to be loved by God in the first person. And that's why we're called to choose. All right, so we've got the why settled. Now the what Israel and we need to hear what kind of a choice we have to make. Let's have a look at these verses, 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods of your ancestors they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Simple choice, isn't it? There are two ways to live. You serve the Lord, the true and living God, or you serve idols, substitute gods, pretend gods that are no gods at all. 
Now, these can be idols of the past or idols of the present, right? He says, you can choose to serve the idols of your forefathers, your pagan forefathers, or the idols of the present, the idols of those who are around you right now in the land of Canaan. But you have to choose and know that there are only two choices, God or idols. I don't need to say that that's the same choice today, isn't it? Only two choices, God or idols. There's no third choice. We can either choose to serve, and the the word serve there is the same word as worship, either serve and worship the God of the Bible, that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? One God in three, or idols. Now, these idols can be the idols of religions, maybe your forefathers, your family's traditions, Buddhism, Taoism, folk religions, whatever it is, or potentially, more likely for us, the choices between God and modern idols, But there's only two choices. You can't choose not to serve and worship a God because even atheists actually worship, functionally worship. They worship the gods or the idols of our modern culture. Now, they're not called gods or idols. They're certainly not formalized religions, but they're everywhere, aren't they, these gods? And almost everyone worships them. Let me give you an example. This week, I read an article titled Self-Worship is the fastest growing religion. Self-worship is the fastest growing religion. And, and, and the article says, just look at some popular hashtags. Hashtag, the answers are within. What's that saying? It's saying that you are the source and standard of truth, so no matter what, trust in yourself. Hashtag, follow your heart. What's that saying? Your emotions are authoritative, so never question or let anyone else question your feelings. Hashtag, live your truth. You are sovereign, so flex your omnipotence. Bend the universe around your dreams and your desires. Hashtag, YOLO, you only live once. You are supreme, so always act to glorify and enjoy yourself forever. Hashtag, never change. You are the standard of goodness, so don't let anyone tell you that you're a sinner who needs grace and transformation. Hashtag, authenticity. You are the creator. So use that limitless creative power to craft your identity and your purpose. Do you resonate with those hashtags? Right? They're the idols of our modern culture. They're the idols that every atheist in our culture worships. What will you choose? So that's the what. Well, Israel, verses 16 to 18, they make their choice. So let's read those verses again. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land, We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. It's great. They made the right choice, right? And they made it with good reasons. They're saying, because the true and living God, He actually saves. He's the one who protected us. He blesses us. He loves us. He does all of that. Idols don't. Of course, we're going to go with the true and living God. Right? Simple choice. Good choice. And for us, we got to remember that too, right? Whatever God substitutes we serve, Whatever idols, traditional or modern, they won't save us. 
Idols won't love you, pretend gods won't forgive you, and they won't redeem you. And this is true not just of the traditional religions and idols of our forefathers, it's also true of the modern idol of self-love. You see, even as we've, in our culture, worshipped ourselves more, guess what? Depression, anxiety, feelings of inadequacy, guilt, shame, they've risen and risen and risen. Why is it that worshipping myself doesn't actually make me more secure or happy? or free. Now, that's another talk for another time, but like any false god, right, we were never designed to be supreme. And hoping that my idol of me can do what only God can do, save, satisfy, forgive, love, restore, free, of course that's never going to work. Of course the modern idol of self is going to fail. But Jesus, on the other hand, the true and living God, He can do all those things for you, right? Save, satisfy, forgive, love, restore, free. And so if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to choose Him because He can do all of those things for you, not just now, but into eternity. Come and have a chat to me or to one of the pastors or the friend who brought you if you want to find out more. Okay. So Joshua says, choose, and here's the why and the what. Israel chooses, yes, we will serve the Lord. But then, big surprise, right? Joshua says, ah, sorry, you can't, you're going to fail. All right, look, look at verse 19. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God, he is a jealous God, he will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after He has been good to you. I mean, wow, huh? I mean, it's like getting to the final round of a job interview only then to be told, sorry, you're not good enough, right? To get all this way, make a decision. It's like, sorry. Bit surprising, isn't it? Well, why is that? Well, there are two reasons that Joshua gives. Firstly, because of God. And secondly, because of you, because of them. See, what does Joshua say? He says, you know what? God is holy, right? That is, God is unique, right? God is jealous. God will not forgive your rebellion. That's basically what he says. God is holy. God is jealous. He won't forgive your rebellion. And at this point, those of us reading the Bible are like, How? hang on, hang on. That sounds like a pretty scary God. Is that really the God of the Bible, the God we worship? Well, I want to say two, three, uh, sorry, three important things for us to note. Um, first, Firstly is this, Joshua is not saying anything that Moses hasn't said, all right? This is nothing new. Secondly, when we talk about God's jealousy, this is not the petty jealousy of a boyfriend. Another way of translating that word, in fact, there's only one word to translate both, is zeal. It's the passion and zeal of a wife for her husband who's been cheating on her. That's the kind of thing we're talking about, the rightful passion and zeal of someone who loves you and wants you to be faithful for your good. Third thing to note is that the context, right? Joshua is, remember, calling on Israel to make a choice and it will result in a formal covenant, okay? A binding agreement. This is much more like legal contract language. And in legal contracts, you do have to present things in black and white, don't you? Let me give you an example. Um, When it comes to marriage, so I perform a lot of marriages Um, And 
I always have to say these words. Marriage, according to law in Australia, is a union of two people to the exclusion of all others voluntarily entered into for life. Now, when you hear that, it makes it sound like Australia has no divorce laws, that they don't exist and it's entirely impossible to be divorced. All right? But we know that there are divorce laws in Australia. In fact, it's quite easy to get divorced in some ways. But you don't say to a couple about to be married, marriage is, well, it's just something two people do until you don't want it anymore. Right? You don't do that. You've got to present it in black and white terms so there's no misunderstanding about how serious this commitment is. Okay? That's a little bit like what Joshua is doing. God is holy. God is jealous in the good sense. And God is just But the fuller picture of the Bible is, of course, in fact, out of the words of Moses and Joshua, is that God is gracious. God is compassionate. God is forgiving. But here in this covenant ceremony, this legal ceremony, they needed to know the gravity of this choice. So I'm going to put it in black and white terms. That's what Joshua is doing. But what he's trying to get at is true, isn't it? Like God is not your plaything. God is holy and huge. So don't think that choosing Him is like choosing what hobby to take up or what subjects you're going to do at uni or what company you're going to work for, right? Because if, if you take the choice of God like that, you will fail. Okay, so that's the first one, because of God. But another reason that they'll fail, Joshua says, is because of you, because He knows what Israel are like. I mean, things are all good now in their point in history, Right, verses 17 and 18, they said, we choose the Lord because we remember what He's done for us. We've lived it. We've seen it. We've experienced it. But you see, what's going to happen in a generation or two or three? Or what's going to happen when their children and grandchildren no longer have had this experience firsthand of the Lord? Joshua knows when that time comes, they're going to drift. They're going to rebel. And that's actually the sad hint at the end of Joshua 24. Verse 31, sounds like a positive verse. It's one of those verses, it's what isn't it saying? Okay, look at verse 31. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. What isn't it saying? Yeah? Well, the rest of the chapter, um, this covenant is formalized. It's witnessed with this big stone. Uh, the The people scatter back to their, their new homes, their new land. Um, then we read Joshua dies, uh, and as I said, the first big story arc of the Old Testament finishes. But Joshua's pessimism actually comes true. This covenant was doomed. It was doomed. All that wasn't said in verse 31 came true, because a thousand or so years later, Israel was all but destroyed and exiled, their enemy was Assyria and then Babylon, but really their enemy was God. Why? Well, God says in Jeremiah 5, when the people ask, why has the Lord our God done all this to us? You will tell them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your own land, so now you will serve foreigners in a land not your own. See, we might think Joshua was being way harsh in Joshua 24, like, you will fail. But he was actually right. They chose, but they couldn't stick with their choice beyond a couple of generations. And the Old Testament is that tragic ending for Israel. 
Now, it's pretty sobering to end our sermon series and the whole of Joshua on this note, but it's there because it's a warning for us. Right? The New Testament says everything written in the past is there as a warning for us. Because we need to choose as well. Do we serve Jesus or do we serve idols? Uh, note in Joshua 24, as we read, he had to tell them to put away their idols once they've made their choice, which is a little bit confusing because I thought that, you know, I thought they'd been worshiping the Lord and only the Lord all of this time since Moses brought them out of Egypt. Haven't they, haven't they already been only worshiping the Lord? Why would they still have idols? Well, the truth is, is this, right? Idols are easily hidden, yeah? Worship is easily tainted. It's entirely possible to be a Christian and still serve and worship the idols of our culture. In fact, the worship of self in our culture is so easily disguised as the worship of Jesus. So God calls us today to make a choice, right? Make a choice and make that decisive break. Put away your idols, get rid of your idols if it's going to be Him. And so if you choose to serve Jesus and serve Jesus only, it's going to be costly, isn't it, to put away those idols, Because all around you, the pressure is to conform. All around you, the pressure is to compromise. That you can have Jesus, but don't be so exclusive. You can have Jesus, but, you know, it's okay to have these idols somewhere tucked around the back. Many of you will know the famous author and pastor, John Piper. I had one opportunity to meet John Piper uh, a few years ago, and um, he was in Australia, and I remember saying to John, um, hey, you know, Australia is really like great beaches. I mean, that's what we're famous for. We don't have much. We have beaches. Um, have you had a chance to go to Bondi or Manly or one of the you know, famous beaches? And, and he just simply said, oh, I don't go to the beach. And I, I was kind of, well, well, I was thinking, is it because he's afraid of sunburn? He doesn't have a right hat. No, I've got some sunscreen. I'll give you some. No, he says, I don't go to the beach because I find that the beach is too visually tempting. Right, because there's so many women in clothes that are well, basically bikinis, and he finds that it's just too hard for him to go to the beach and not look around. And so he will just decide for him not to ever go to the beach. So he's not tempted. Now that to me was like, whoa, that's really extreme, right? Now I, I'm not saying here that you'll have to be like John Piper, but I'm sure it was costly for him never to go to the beach. I want us to ask ourselves, when has abandoning an idol, when has deciding to serve Jesus and being faithful to Jesus, when has that ever been painful for us? So you may not come to the same conclusion as John Piper, never to go to the beach. But what is it for you? What area of life, if you're a follower of Jesus, where abandoning an idol has actually cost you, has actually hurt you? Because if it never costs, if it's never painful to give it up, then you've got to ask yourself the question, are you actually just harboring those idols secretly and trying to serve both the idol and Jesus? Do you kind of get what I mean? See, it is hard, isn't it? All right? And it's not just a one choice I make at one time. It's got to be an ongoing commitment every single day. No, no, no. Jesus, not idols. Jesus, not idols. And it's hard. And after reading Joshua, you might be You'll be right to have this niggling question, right? Gosh, if they couldn't do it, Israel, after all they've experienced, if they were doomed to fail, am I doomed to fail like them? 
That's a really important question. It's a good question. But I'll tell you what the difference between Israel and us are. The key difference is they were under the old covenant. And if you're a follower of Jesus today and you choose to follow Jesus, you are under what the Bible calls the new covenant. It's a new set of agreement. It's a new relationship drawn out between God and people. It's new because it fulfills the old, but it also replaces the old. And it replaces the old because under the old covenant, God's people would always, only always fail. And the new covenant gives us hope where the old covenant doesn't. And the key is that the new covenant is the covenant of the Holy Spirit. You got that? The new covenant is the covenant of the Holy Spirit. That's how the covenant is described in the New Testament. It's the covenant of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know how important the Holy Spirit is, um, come to Alpha this Tuesday. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit. But here's the reason why the Holy Spirit makes all of the difference. Here's just some verses. In 1 Corinthians 3, the letter, and he's talking about the old covenant, kills, but the Spirit, he's talking about the new covenant, gives life. Look what Jesus says in John 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in the context, he's talking about coming to live in us by his Holy Spirit. Jesus comes personally to dwell in us by his Holy Spirit. That's a new covenant. John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit will now teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Romans 8. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And by him we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. See, remember in Joshua, Israel only kept their commitment in the generations that had witnessed and experienced God's saving work firsthand, right? And once the experience faded over the generations, that's why they drifted. I'll tell you why that won't happen with us in the new covenant, because of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant of the Holy Spirit ensures that every single Christian who is filled with the Spirit experiences God's love and saving work as a present reality. You see the difference? If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just something happened to someone in the past. It's happening to you right now. And the Spirit is the one who enables you to move from the third person, God loves people, to hearing that I love you. The Holy Spirit makes all of the difference. So my question to you this, this morning has to be, and this afternoon for those who are listening later on, is do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? In other words, have you been born again? Have you gone from Christianity being a religious thing that you do or just mentally believe in to a transforming personal experience of God? Because without the Holy Spirit, you can't stick with Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit and new birth and a new heart, you will drift and you will fall away and you will never come back. Do you have the Holy Spirit? If you are unsure, if you know the answer is no, then today, will you ask God for His Holy Spirit, for that new birth? Now, if you know you have the Holy Spirit, because you're a follower of Jesus, you've been born again, but you feel that your commitment is wavering, and the idols and temptations of this world are dragging you back, and you feel yourself drifting or maybe just growing lukewarm or cold. What do you need? You also need more of the Holy Spirit. You need a spiritual renewal that only the Holy Spirit can bring. 
so that the experience of God's love and His power can be refreshed and revived in your life. So if that's you, will you today ask God for the Holy Spirit, for more of His Spirit to renew you? That would be a great thing to ask, wouldn't it? Because then and only then will you be able to say with Joshua, no matter how much it costs me, no matter how tempting the gods of this age are, no matter what others choose as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's get ready to sing. Let's pray. Father, we so long to be able to say with new hearts, with Holy Spirit renewed hearts, as for me and my household, we will serve you. This choice is hard. It's a choice we have to make every day. But by your Spirit, you can achieve what is impossible for us. The Holy Spirit, come into our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.